Good morning. Wow. I said good evening last night to the crowd last night. They just looked at me as if I was some sort of tall, thin, good-looking Irish man. And uh, you guys actually responded. It's incredible and privilege to be here in Germantown. We have a terrible joke in Europe. Can I tell you the joke we have in Europe? You won't be annoyed at me, would you? Where would you be without humor? Germany. Please do not take that personally. Are there some Germans here? I am so sorry. My wife tells that joke all the time. I will never speak to her again. My name is Michael McNamee. I obviously am from Ireland. I really do talk like this. And we are believing that God is going to move in such a way today that you're going to talk like this as well. Last night, 14 people left here speaking with an Irish accent. It's incredible. And it's such a privilege to be with your pastor. I met your pastor. I've heard so much about him. You know, I'm a missionary with the American church for the last 30 years. And when you get together, missionaries get together, they talk. And they talk about great pastors and great churches. And I kept hearing about this guy, Aaron Cole, in Germantown, Wisconsin. And I said, there couldn't possibly be a church in Wisconsin that's doing well for missions. Because the last time I was here in Wisconsin... It was about 15, 20 years ago when you won the Super Bowl or win the Super Bowl and everybody was walking about with lumps of cheese on their head. And I said, God couldn't probably, couldn't bless people like that. But I met your pastor in uh, Belfast and he was everything I thought he was going to be. He's, he's not as tall as I thought he was, but he's everything. And he, what an honor and what a privilege to be here this morning. Missions is not crossing the seas. But missions is seeing the cross. You know, when you see the cross, you can never, never, never hope to be the same again. I know he showed you a video of us in Belfast, but I just want to say something. It's so wonderful to be in the greatest country in the world. The greatest country in the world is America. Not just because the 43 million Irish people live here. As I shared with you last time in that video, 17 American presidents have Irish blood in them. Did you know that? The rest of them are your fault. And America's great not because of its military might or power, but America's great because this country has been established on the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's some amongst you who are trying to rob these kids of being what God wants them to be. But we're here this morning to say no to them and yes to Jesus. And I want to say something. It's just not pulpit talk. Through the mist and through the storm, the star-spangled banner still flies as a testimony to people like me that America still cares. So on behalf of of a world that loves you. I want to say God bless you and God bless America. And thank you for that wonderful offering, which is going to change the destiny of tens of thousands of people. I work in Europe. I grew up in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and uh, I am president of Convoy of Hope Europe. It's a humanitarian organization which starts churches. I also work with Master's Commission and church planting. My wife, who you'll be hearing a lot about in the next 15 minutes, works with diplomats, royalty, presidents, prime ministers and has a prayer ministry, which is over half a million people involved. So I work with the down and outs, and she works with the higher echelon. And together, somehow, God brings us together. We don't talk much, because she's a psychologist. And she just looks at me and takes notes. And, um, <laughs> but somehow, it works. And so you're saying, how did you get involved? You must have been a Christian all your life. Nope. We're just about to talk about that. And we're going to read from Luke chapter 18. And seriously, it is so nice. Pastor Aaron, thanks for inviting me. Thank you. And Courtney and all the people. My hotel room is fantastic. I'm sharing it with seven foreigners, but I do get the bathroom tomorrow. 
I can hardly wait. <clears throat> That's why you'll see me running around a lot. And so 18 verses 35, and keep going. Now, how about 38? Let's just skip the four verses, because I didn't really want to do them anyway, and pretend I didn't make a mistake. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thy son of God, have mercy on me. And they went before him, rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried even the more, Thy son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. When he was come near, he asked him, saying, What will you that I shall do unto you? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has made thee whole. This man was blind. And he heard that Jesus was in town. There's the greatest revelation of all. Jesus is in town. I got good news for you. Jesus is in Germantown, Wisconsin today. Not because he supports the Packers. Who does? But Jesus. Some of you think Brett Favre is the Antichrist, don't you? You really do. You really do. I know you do. Even in Europe, we've heard about it. And he said, he cried out because he was blind. And Jesus stopped. Because you see, everything that Jesus does is compassion. The center of Jesus' life is compassion. Everything that your pastor talks to me about that he wants to do in this church, this community, in the world centers around the one word, compassion. You are here this morning because you are being a recipient of compassion. Somebody loved you so much, especially Jesus. You know, I look at some of you and I go, wow, that must have been a tough one for Jesus. Some of you look good. The rest of you, God can help you. But Jesus... Jesus loved us all. Our best friends know the best about us. They think the worst. Jesus knows the worst about us, and he thinks the best always. And we're the recipient of compassion. I grew up in Northern Ireland. If Northern Ireland was this Bible, please don't think I'd been a reverend. The top part of the Bible would be Northern Ireland, governed from England, 70% Protestant. Southern Ireland, the bottom part of the Bible, a republic, 95% Catholic. Now, the 30% of the Protestants, Catholics in the North, get this right, Michael, boom, the 30% of the Catholics in the North, they want to say goodbye to England and make Ireland one country under Catholicism. Obviously, the Protestants don't want that, and you have two factions with different aspirations, and there's been a war for 500 years. In the last 30 years, one person every 427 has been killed or wounded. There are two guerrilla armies fighting, one for the Protestants, the also volunteer force, and the one for the Catholics, which most of you know, the Irish Republican Army. I was a member of that army for 13 years. I want to share a briefly sanitized version this morning before we go in to talk about Convoy of Hope. I grew up in a Catholic home. It was a militant Catholic home. I'm not criticizing Catholicism. And I was never allowed to talk to a Protestant. I lived with my grandfather who had been a gun runner. And he had tried to escape from prison and he'd been put on a, uh, on a boat in a cage for 23 hours a day and he was my hero and I said when I grow up I want to be like my grandfather and he gave me a one lopsided view of Irish history so I actually believed that Ireland was an occupied country just as you believe in Afghanistan and Iraq I believe that the English were taking over our land Protestants were you know subjugating us and in the wrong way and I believed that something had to be done about this and so when my grandfather died I put my hand on his coffin and I swore I would offend him and such fanaticism does not go unnoticed in Ireland. And some people approached me and they said, would you like to come to a training camp, which was actually organized by Libya? And so I went to a training camp in Southern Ireland where they literally taught me how to kill. <clears throat> now, I said this last night. When you look at me this morning, I look so nice. 
Okay, moving right along. I, I, you've obviously, okay. You say, how could anybody think like that? When I left that training camp, I signed a piece of paper which said, I, John Michael Joseph McNamee, do hereby swear to kill as many Protestants and English people as I can, that even though the streets of Ireland run red with blood, I will continue until Ireland is a Catholic country. Nobody had ever told me about the love of Jesus Christ. And so I entered this war with a full skill fanaticism. As I say, this is a sanitized version. When I was 19 years of age, I had a hit group of nine young men. And we swore that we would really revolutionize and change the world. And one night when we were drunk, which was normal for Irish people, I said, let's not live to be 30, but let, let the world know and remember us. And eight of those people were killed. And so then they approached me and they asked me to be a politician when I was in my early 20s. I says, Michael, you know, you jump up and down, you scream and yell, you, you tell lies, you could be a good politician. And so... They asked me to go, and I would go to universities and colleges unannounced and stand in front of young people and say, hey, don't just talk. You got one life to live. Give your life for Ireland. And they would come forward. But something inside of me was not happy. You see, from the moment we were born, we were born with a spirit inside us that desperately needs to be satisfied. And that's why people turn to drink and drug and perversions and other stuff. Everybody's trying to appease that spirit inside them. But the only way your spirit can be satisfied is when your spirit joins with the spirit of the living God. But I didn't know that. And so I just continued in this aimless fanaticism. And one thing that really bothered me then, you know, I believed, and this is a terrible thing to say in front of a, in a church, I believed that Protestants and English people had to die, but not Catholics. And then the IRA decided that the only way to win the war was to have a program of indiscriminate bombing, putting bombs everywhere. And that first year was a thousand bomb explosions. If you Google it, you'll find out about it. And so I couldn't get over that. I couldn't get over that we were killing our own people, which shows you how warped I was. You know, kill them, but don't kill us. And so I actually became quite annoyed about that, but I realized I couldn't leave. And I'm 27 years of age. What else could I do anyway? And so I decided, sitting by my bed one night, that I was going to die. See, I, made this, I, made this, I mean, life, my whole life, I was fanatical about what I was doing. Other people weren't. They were violent. They were aggressive. They were in it for different reasons. I believed in it. Now we're killing each other. And so my whole life was, was a mess. And so I decided I was going to die. I, I thought I could kill myself, but I couldn't. I didn't have the, the courage. And so I decided I was going to die famously in action. Irish people are so romantic. Don't listen to our wives. We really are. We're so romantic. And I thought I would die romantically. And I'd write this story about me and this poem and not realizing I wouldn't be around this here, but you don't think about stuff like that. And, and, so that's, and so I tried to die and I couldn't. I mean, it was like, it's just the weirdest. I look back on it, it was just weird. And then Jesus of Nazareth walked into my life. I was working in this dead-end job. You know, when you're a lieutenant in the Grill Army, you don't really have to worry too much about working, but I worked in this dead-end job just to get some money. It was like a front for me, and they wouldn't touch me. They knew I was involved, and so I could come and go as I pleased. And one day I came in, and the whole place was in turmoil because an, a girl had come to work in the place. And I said, well, there's lots of girls who work here. And I said, but this girl is not a Catholic. We were a Catholic firm. And in Ireland, it's Catholic and Protestant. There's no... At that time, there was no joining. And so I said, well, there's a, a Protestant working in this firm? How could that be? And just then, the door opened on my left, 
and the boss walked in with this girl. And I looked across, and I'm not joking, my life changed. This girl, she was, I'm in church, she was good looking. <laughs> she was the best looking girl I have ever seen in my life. And I went, wow, wow, that's kind of cute. I didn't actually say that, but I wasn't a Christian at the time. I said, that's kind of cute. And she was being introduced to us. And I made sure I was standing at the end. And when she came to me, I said, hi. It always worked for me. <laughs> and she looked at me. And I always remember, this is the first thing we talk about all the time. She says, first thing she ever said to me, you got a problem. You're an idiot. She says, you need Jesus. And I went, what? She says, you need Jesus. I said, you're a Christian? You're a Protestant? She said, no, I'm a Christian. I said, well, I'm a Christian. She says, no, you're not. I said, I'm going to watch you. And I watched her because she was cute. Boy, did I watch her. I watched this girl. And in the middle, you have to understand it, in the middle of a war, when bombs were falling and nobody walked across the line, this girl started talking to me about compassion and mercy and love. And I just, I mean, I couldn't. I said, I'm going to do everything I can to make her fall. I knew one name in the Bible, Moses, so I called her Holy Moses. And no matter what I tried to do, she stood there oblivious. You see, compassion is compelling. There is something about compassion. My wife says there's no answer to love. There's something about compassion. It's overwhelming and compelling. And everything I did to try and get away from this girl, I gravitated towards her because in the midst of darkness, she was a light. It sounds pretty basic. It's a cliche, but it works. I went with two of my friends downtown Belfast one night to a place called the Electricity Bar. And it was two stories up. And it's a place we used to frequent. And I was really in turmoil. I was trying to die and I couldn't. This girl was messing up my life. She was talking about Jesus. And I was in fall. Bombs were falling all over the place. My life was a mess. And I just was 28 and a half years of age. And I just didn't want to go on. And these two guys were talking. I said, look here, let me tell you something, guys. <clears throat> we are not freedom fighters. Let me just tell you that right now. We've got blood in our hands. We're, 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 we're scum. And they said, what is wrong with you? And I said, well, I just met this girl. And they said, oh, you met? I said, it's nothing to do with a girl. It's us. And they were just annoying me, and I was clearly intoxicated anyway. And so I walked towards the door of this bar. What I didn't know, and this is what I should have known, is that my colleagues in the IRA had put a bomb underneath the dance floor of this bar. Now, you think you would remember something like that and tell people? Mm, oh, by the way, don't go there, there's a bomb. No, they didn't tell me. There's a bomb underneath the bar. And as I walked towards the door, the place blew up around me. I was flung down the stairs. You know, how to go to hospital. You don't get this ugly, naturally. And I'm standing outside, the smell the people, the paramedics, the police, the stuff, the devil. And then somebody said to me, about 80 people brought out, nobody killed, but people hurt and mutilated. And somebody said to me, uh, the IRA did that. And I went, what? I was like, everything I believed in, even though I was starting not to believe in it, just literally, it was like the last foundation in my life just collapsed. And I was like, everything in my life was gone. And there was nothing. I didn't believe in hell. I didn't believe, but I just, I just stood at the edge of a precipice and there was nothing there. 
And I was in the hospital, and a good-looking girl came to me, and she says, my father's a Pentecostal preacher, which she might as well have went, I didn't know what that meant. And she said, he's having a meeting tonight. Would you like to come? And, I, and she looked at me, and she smiled. Wow, I want to tell you something. Smile. Though your heart is broken. No, smile. Smile. And the sunlight dented off her smile, and she looked kind of cute. And I went, okay, I'm going to that meeting. Well, I regretted it the whole day, and she came and picked me up in her car and brought me to this place called Lurgan, which is north of Belfast. And all the way there, I'm going, what in the name of all the saints in Ireland am I doing? I don't want to go to this place. And so she dropped me off outside, and I stood in, and I looked in the door, and there was a bunch of weirdos. And there were some people standing up near and the thing, smiling and laughing with their hands up near. Weird people. In fact, I hadn't seen such weird people until I came here this morning. They look just like you. Weirdest people. You should have been there. In fact, you probably were. Your, your ancestors were there. And so, and I just didn't want to, but the interesting thing was on the way, the night before, she'd asked me for a photograph of myself, you know. Wow. And she, little, little metal things they have in the hospital bed. She opened it. My billfold was covered in blood. And she took out a photograph. Well, what I didn't know, she'd given it to her father, who was the speaker. So I came in and sat in the back. And her father saw me, and he looked at the photograph and recognized me. And he said the following, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And I saw the people that I'd been with who had died and had held their hands. And, their... and suddenly, somebody died for me. I just, I couldn't get over it. And it was just a simple truth, you know, but it just, and he says, no matter what you've done, Jesus can clean you from the inside out. And I'm sitting there going, this guy knows an awful lot about me. And I got nervous. When I got nervous, my hair curls. In two minutes, I had an afro. I mean, I was just. <laughs> and he says, you need to see a miracle here. And I went, what? And he says, there's a girl here. And they brought this girl up, and she was deaf and dumb from birth. And he says, this girl's going to be healed. Well, I'm going, wow. He's a doctor as well. He's earned the big bucks, this guy. He's a speaker and a doctor. I mean, this guy's incredible. And he did some stuff with her, and the girl screamed. My hair started to turn white, and has not stopped since. And the girl was able to hear and she was my age and never heard in her life. I mean, it was, it was bizarre. It was, most, it was scary. It was, I ran out. I'm thinking this is the last days. There's going to be angels up in the heavens. Here's the one thing that always struck me, that there was people walking up and down the street outside, oblivious. That's the thing that always stuck with me. And as we sit here this morning, there are people walking up and down the street of Germantown, all over Wisconsin, oblivious to Jesus Christ that heals and saves. And I had the first revelation in my life. I said, these people know nothing. I got to get inside. And they say I knock people out of the way to get to the preacher. And I grabbed a hold of him by the ankles. And I said, do not run. Do not. I don't understand this. But I want it. Please help me. And they prayed for me. And I want to tell you, I know people exaggerate. I hated everybody. I despised myself, my parents, white people, black people, red people, green people. I hated everybody. I hadn't cried in 20 years. And when they prayed for me, something happened. You know, Americans tell me if we had a new president, if we knew legislation, America would be different. A new person or legislation will never change a person's heart. 
Only Jesus can do that. And when I stood to my feet a half an hour later, I was changed. I was revolutionized. I liked people. I started to cry. I mean, I, I liked English people. Only God can make you like English people. <laughs> the good-looking girl, she started to bring me all over the place. We started talking to British soldiers about Jesus, the people I used to fight against. And she was fantastic. And I said, one, I looked at her one day and I said, I'm ugly. She's cute. She said she always wanted to marry a movie star. My, my wife, this girl, a good-looking girl. She says, I look like Tom Cruise from a distance of five miles. <laughs> Up close, I look like another movie star, Shrek. <laughs> and I borrowed some money off her one day because the Lord had given me wisdom. And I bought her an engagement ring with her money. <laughs> Be wise, guys. And I'm engaged to the most beautiful girl in the world. But the IRA found out I was talking to soldiers. And to cut a long story short, because I've got to go into my next part of my sermon, um, they set a trap to assassinate me one Monday night. Somebody warned me, and I fled. I fled Ireland. For the next 10 years, Americans don't use the word hell, but let me talk to you about it was hell. My brother was assassinated. My father died cursing me. I got a few beatings by police in Germany. Italy, a few other places. I used to be pulled out of the line all the time. For 10 years, it was a... But the good-looking girl, I borrowed some more money off her and we got married. And we became missionaries with the American church. Compassion. See, compassion is compelling. But compassion is also convicting. And God gave me a heart for people. Because I, you know, not many of you were a terrorist. But it's not what you are. It's or were. It's what you can be in Jesus Christ. And so I would go around the 731 million people in Europe. We lived in Portugal for a while. Now we live in Belgium. And I would preach 300, 500 times a year, telling them about Jesus Christ. And you know what? Nobody wants to come to Europe because it's too expensive. Everybody wants to go to Latin America. 10,000 people saved every day. Africa, 14,000 people healed every day. Europe, last year when I was speaking, a woman started to go like this once. We later found out it was the air conditioning, but for half an hour we were excited. Europe. <laughs> Difficult. 11 bucks for a gallon of gas, 10 bucks for a gallon of gas. I told the people last night, we don't use gas anymore. I get in the car and my wife pushes me. I mean, seriously. But somehow I realized that God loved Europe, the greatest mission field in the world today. And one day I'm in a refugee camp and these people come up to me and they say, Michael, please take my child the baby, they offered me the baby, and bring it to America and give it a life that I can never give it. And I realized that my words were the greatest words ever spoken, the words of Jesus Christ. But my methodology had to change. And this is what I did. There's a place in Portugal called Fatima. It's a place where in 1915, three shepherd children said they saw Mary or somebody. On the last day, when they were talking to somebody, 50,000 people gathered, and the sun revolved in this axis and hurtled towards the earth. Two people, two of those kids died immediately in the influenza ex uh, epidemic after the First World War. The other one became a nun, and she was only made one public appearance. She died six or seven years ago. But from that day, on May the 15th, every year on May the 15th in Portugal, people come to Fatima hoping to find God or somebody. Two million people out of a population of 10 million. The majority of them, no. Some of them come by car. 
Some come by plane. Some come by bicycle. The majority of them walk. One mile is not so bad. If you live 200 miles away, that's quite a walk. 300 miles away, that's quite a walk. In the month of February, they start walking for May the 15th. The majority of the ones who walk don't walk, but they crawl on their hands and knees. For three months, hundreds of miles the other side of Fatima, you will see people walking, crawling along the road, some of them carrying their handicapped children. If I can just get to Fatima, who are we who were born in Ireland and America and have a monopoly on truth? We who can come to church if we want to, if it snows, we probably won't. If the Green Bay Packers have an early kickoff, let's not go. I'm not being malicious, I'm not being con. These people crawl on their hands and knees, hoping to find some favor with God. Holy Spirit spoke to me and gave me a revelation and said, this is the key to Portugal. I told my staff when we went to a place called Batalha, which means battlefield, funny enough, 13 kilometers, which is seven miles from uh, uh, Fatima. And we set up these huge tents. We all wore white jackets and with thing of banners, free coffee, Coca-Cola, whatever it is, tea, for the pilgrims. And these people come walk. You stand on the main road the day before, and they come in their tens of thousands, tens of thousands. Let's get to Fatima, carrying their children, hoping, begging. Some of them have done it for 50 years. They're bow-legged, hoping if they can get there, God will love them, and God will find They will just, my God will help them. And this is what we did. When they came in bleeding and covered in dust, we simply knelt down, and we cleaned their legs. We washed their legs and we washed their feet. And we bandaged them as inadequately as we could. And the Lord showed me to write something, a thing called Global University, and I changed it. In three days, we kissed and we hugged and we cleaned the feet of 50,000 people. Six weeks later, 7,200 people had responded and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ by written sin because of our compassion. Our compassion. They saw Jesus. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. We do not compromise the gospel, but we go in. We had a team from this church last year led by Pastor Kevin Miller, who I met his beautiful and much younger wife last night. He did well, didn't he? And they came to Montenegro. Have you ever prayed for Montenegro? Maybe since the team came. 700,000 people. 130 Christians. Three churches. Three churches. And one of them is dysfunctional. And there we hugged and we kissed and we loved. You see, my wife walked across the line. My wife walked across the line and said, you got a problem. You need Jesus. There is no answer to compassion. Can you hear them, the cries of the lost? 731 million people in the continent of Europe who left their continent in boats. They came here not to have Turkey with the Indians, but 42% of them died that first winter, and their blood seared the soil of this great nation, and they left behind a legacy, and now the continent of Europe desperately, desperately needs a God. The two greatest mission fields in the world are the Muslim world and the continent of Europe. And by 2034, there will be more Muslims in Europe than there will be Europeans. Your desire will ultimately determine your destiny. It's true. But your desire this weekend 
will determine the destiny of people who are lost. I close. When I first came to America, I just loved this country. I mean, I couldn't understand the word you said, but I loved this country. But when I had come in the early 80s, prayer had been stolen from your schools while you slept in the 1960s. The great Irish hero, John F. Kennedy, would have been assassinated in Dallas, Texas, 63, followed by his brother and the great social guy, Martin Luther King, civil rights guy, killed on the balcony in Tennessee. And Americans would come up to me and they would say, we're changing, we're just like you. And I says, please don't be like us because we're full of the devil. People started to tell me that Abraham Lincoln told lies and George Washington was immoral, and I didn't like it. But I was watching an old Super Bowl thing recently. We do watch the Super Bowl. Keep looking out for you guys, but you're never there. We keep watching the Super Bowl. And I was watching an old one recently, and it was when Whitney Houston sang the Star Spangled Banner. Whatever you think about Whitney Houston. And they went to army places in Afghanistan and Iraq and all over, even here in America, in Fort Bragg. And Americans stood to their feet, and they wrapped ribbons, yellow ribbons, around the old oak tree. And I said to my wife, Burl, America has come back. The world despises you. Not true. The minority of the world despises you and they talk too much. The majority loves you and says nothing, which is sad. But to the kingdom for an hour such as this has God chosen the United States of America. And through the mist and through the storm, the star-smangled banner still flies as a testimony to people like me. Thank you. It's not what you were. It's not what you are. It's what you can be in Jesus. And you're offering today and following this pastor and the leadership of the Great Vision, we shall change the destiny of a world that is lost to the glory of the living God. God bless you. And I love you so much. This is, this is very difficult for me. I might even support the Green Bay Packers this afternoon.